Hello and welcome to the Book of Acts. We are walking through Acts chapter 10 at the moment as part of a wider series looking at the entire Book of Acts, the history of the early church, covering a period of about 30 or 40 years in which the early church was founded, set up, strengthened and spread out across the region, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 10, verses 23 to 29. Lord Jesus, would you help us as we read your word? Would you give us wisdom to understand what you would say to us as individuals, as churches? Would you give us your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's read it out. The next day he arose and went away with them. That's Peter. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I shall not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. So previously, we heard that Peter had received a vision of these white sheets coming down, lowered from heaven, and in it were all kinds of unclean animals. And then a voice commands Peter to kill and eat the animals, to which Peter responds, by no means. And this is because he sees the, that the animals are ceremonially, ritually unclean animals, and he doesn't understand what's going on here. And this is repeated twice more, so in total three times this happens. And as this is happening, three people arrive at his door the, of the house that he's staying at. And they have been sent to Peter by a Roman centurion to collect Peter so that he can explain the gospel to them. The only problem is, is that these are Roman soldiers, these are Gentiles, these people are not Jews. And as we've heard in that in that in in, in the, the prelude I've just read out, um, Jews and Gentiles could not associate, they couldn't meet in the same house, they couldn't eat together. There was a there was a big problem here with what Peter is being asked to do. So the Spirit then whispers into Peter's ear the reason for all this. Peter is to go to the Gentiles. So the purpose of all these visions, all of that's going on, Peter is going to break the ice. So we now see the breaking down of that great dividing wall, that great division between Jews and Gentiles, initiated by God, always planned for by God. It's no surprise for God, but for the early church it was of course a surprise. And today we're going to look at Peter going to Cornelius to meet him and his household. So it says that he, wrote, he arose the next day and went with these people that had come to his house to call him. It was too late that evening to go, but 
the next morning as early as they could. They went out with these, with these three um, Gentiles, Roman soldiers, that had been sent to pick up Peter. And he took some brothers with him who were going to accompany him. So Peter immediately obeys the Holy Spirit with the strange command to go to a Gentile house. Um, he's already broken tradition by having Gentiles in the house that he was staying at last, the, the previous night. And so he's already almost warmed up to what's going on. He's, he's stepped over the dividing wall already. He's already too deep in to get out. And he takes his friends along with him. And we'll see later on that it's six individuals he's taken on, take, taken along with him. And this is for a couple of reasons, possibly. One, for accountability, because this is very uncharted territory. Even for Peter, as a leader of the church, as an apostle, this is very difficult for him to understand what's going to happen next. God's asking him to do things that have never happened before. This is for his own safety. Could be a trap, maybe, who knows considering all the danger that the church had been under. We've read, read about people being thrown in prison, killed in the, in the previous chapters. Um, but maybe also it was for, as a means of discipleship. Maybe these six believers who were coming along with them were younger believers, maybe those newer to the faith, and Peter was just taking them along to disciple them. And this is a very good practice for, for us to, to just put into our everyday life, to to demonstrate to other believers, to disciple people by taking them along. That's what Jesus did. Jesus took his disciples along with him. And those disciples then became apostles. And we have ample opportunity to take people along with us when, when we're doing ministry in other places so that we can show them life, so we can, we can do life with them essentially, show them warts and all, so along the journey, not just on the platform. Um, this is a great model that we could um, emulate. Take people with us when we go and do ministry. When, even if it's uncomfortable territory, even if it's new, they will observe our character, our nature, um, our decisions, how we come to those decisions, and they can talk to us along the way, ask questions. It's a good way to model ministry. And it's good to bring people who are like-minded and who want to see and know the work of God and grow in their faith on such journeys. So the best way to disciple others is not necessarily just sending them off to seminary to be taught by someone else, the theory, but to also do life with them. Take them along, let them experience it, demonstrate it to them firsthand. Be open-handed in your ministry approach. Don't be secretive, withholding, distrustful. You may raise up unexpectedly sons and daughters in the faith by simply taking others along with you, like what Peter has done and so it's a long journey so there's no public transport in those days so traveling on foot meant that this journey probably took a couple of hours many hours almost the whole day probably plenty of time to chat disciple encourage and so off they go and it says on the following day they entered Caesarea so it took the whole day to travel um, and Cornelius was expecting them there and he had gathered a whole lot of people in his house. So it takes them a whole day to arrive. And it could not have come sooner because Cornelius has been waiting a number of days. He was at the very beginning of the story. He received that angel, that vision, who told him to go, go send for Peter. And he's been waiting ever since then to find out what's this all about. 
And in the meantime, he's been gathering his friends. He's probably been talking about the vision that he had of the angel, that, that someone's coming, the angel's bringing, the angel asked him to bring some important person. And so there's something big in the making. So his neighborhood, his friends, his family have come around um, and they're going to meet this person who the angel said, you must meet this person. So the gospel is to be shared. These people had not even heard the gospel, but already instinctively they're forming a community, they're gathering, and this is the beginning of the very first Gentile church. And so we must never hoard or hide the gospel. It is designed to be shared. The gospel is free. It's, it's to be shared for whoever, wherever, wherever people are, whatever faith background they come from, wherever, whatever, um, wherever, whatever their culture is, wherever they've migrated from, all of that doesn't matter. Whatever the color of their skin is, the gospel is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And when we share it, we are never the poorer for doing that. In fact, the gospel is the only thing that when you share it, everyone gets, gets, get, get, gets a benefit. Everyone's richer. Everyone's more prosperous as a result. Everyone gets to find out about Jesus. And the gospel isn't when you share it, it sort of diminishes. No, it increases in everyone's life. The more you share, the better it is. So Peter is expecting to meet just one man, maybe Cornelius. But instead, he finds an eagerly anticipating crowd who's looking for what's going to be said. So this is fertile soil for the gospel to land in. So like John the Baptist, Cornelius has been preparing the way for Peter, making his, his whatever he's going to say, much easier because it's going to land on eager hearts, open minds and fertile soil. In his zeal, however, Cornelius maybe goes a little bit overboard. So let's see what he does next. It says, when Peter enters the house, Cornelius meets him and falls down on his, at his feet and begins to worship him. Okay, that's a bit different, a bit strange. But just remember, he is a Gentile. He's not got the background that the Jews have of worshipping the one true God. So everything's new for everyone. So it's so full of anticipation, so eager to begin worshipping that he maybe mistook Peter for the one that Peter was merely going to represent or talk about and as I've said he can probably be forgiven he was very ignorant and only truly wanted to worship he was so keen to begin worshiping God so aflame was his heart for God and so Peter needs to correct this so Peter corrects him but it, there's nothing sinister there's no idolatry here it's, it's done with an innocent motive God sees through it, and so Peter proceeds. The whole situation is bizarre for everyone. It's bizarre for the Gentiles, bizarre for the Jews who've never encountered these Gentiles in, in this setting. Um, the Jews being in the same house as the Gentiles, the same for the Gentiles. It's really weird having Jews coming to them. So everyone's a bit nervous, there's a bit, bit, of, bit of edginess in the, in the air. And the greatest danger we often have is, is not suffering, because that really humbles us and drives away sin, or being persecuted, but it's actually being exalted, being put on a pedestal. And Peter sees straight away that the danger, more danger than him being in prison in the last few chapters and being persecuted was actually him being exalted and being worshipped. That's the greatest danger that we can have as Christians, is people beginning to make us feel more important than we are. And so Peter stops this mistaken worship in its tracks and 
what does he do? He lifts him up and he says, stand up, I too am a man. So I'm just a person, you can't worship me. Peter helps him up out of his ignorance and declares that they are both on the same footing before God. Isn't that amazing? God helps him almost through that illustration of Cornelius beginning to worship him. Because that's how the Jews had made, basically made it. They'd made it that there was such a separation. They'd, they'd put, put everyone else down there and them up here. And so Peter's actually just suddenly through this illustration, they're on the, on the same level. They're on the same footing before God. They're the same starting point. Um, Peter could have easily have changed the dynamics here. He could have said, actually, no, I'll take a bit of this. I'll have a bit of this. I'll start my own thing now. Forget about God and the gospel. I'm going to start the, the Peter religion. And that's how many false religions and cults begin. As someone gets some sort of revelation, half revelation, and it becomes all about the individual. And But Peter is having none of this. He is not about himself. He is so truly about God and his glory. And it says, as he talked with Cornelius, he went in and found this gathered group of people. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone of another nation. So he tells them, this is dangerous ground. This is illegal. I'm not even allowed to be here. And then there's this beautiful phrase, which we see throughout Paul's writing, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter's, Peter's surprised at this large gathering each step of the last two days have been a shock to the entire system and he's expecting a, just a small just maybe Cornelius but now he's got a huge crowd to talk to um, and they've exchanged pleasantries and he moves in and Peter's made it clear he does not want to be treated as a god and he will not treat these gentiles as as dogs either they're on the same footing they're the same level so he talks and enjoys his first moments in the global global gentile church so peter explains how unusual it was he said this is illegal it's unusual for everyone the gentiles and for the jews it's a dramatic move for both of them it was unlawful it was a horror it was a disgust for jews to be in the house of gentiles all the traditions and wisdom of the the jewish nation and all the teaching they had received was to keep separate from the Gentiles. Yet we know that God had from the very beginning spoken of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. And now was that moment. And we see a lot of precedent in the rest of the Bible. We see characters like Ruth and Rahab who were Gentiles, Moabites, coming into the kingdom of God, God bringing them into the, the genealogy of Jesus. And then we also see just the traditions of the, of the Jews. We see in Genesis 43 when Joseph ate, he ate separately from his brothers because he was considered an Egyptian. And in Daniel, the, the Jewish, um, the, the three, four Jewish brothers who'd come from, friends who'd come from, from um, Israel to Babylon, they wouldn't defile themselves by eating the same food or eating with the Babylonians. So there was a separation. But... God all along had the intention to bring the Gentiles in. So, what has changed? So, Peter reveals the twist. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And this is a direct instruction from God, along with a simultaneous instruction to Cornelius. So, Cornelius got told to go get Peter. So, that means 
that boundary ball is going to fall from that side. Peter's told to go. That means the boundary, fall on, on boundary wall on both sides is going to collapse. And this is backed up by many prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, Peter is at last free to relax and do what he's called to, to explain the gospel and invite people to saving faith. But before he does, he just wants to clarify why he was called to make sure everyone is on the same page. And it's important to see the value throughout this whole conversation, throughout this whole meeting together, the value that God places on people. No one is common. I'm just going to read out this C.S. Lewis quote to help us see the, the, the value of human beings, even non-believers, people people who are created in the image of God. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circ circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But as but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously, no flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, and our charity must be real and costly love, with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbour is the holiest object presented to your senses. And that's quoted from C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. So people are important because they are created in the image of God. Whether or not they believe in Christ or not, they are still image bearers. There are no common or ordinary people. That's what that quote was trying to underline. There are no second-class people. All have access equally to God in Christ. And so, just rounding up here. So when I was sent for, Peter says, I came without objection. I ask then, why did you send for me? So what humility is displayed by Peter, who just comes so quickly, he just stops whatever he was doing, gives up his, his, his agenda, his itinerary, and just comes. He responds. And we often 
respond differently to those who we deem to be more important or, or less important. And we have to have a rationale. So I can go to those people because they are important, they are the leaders or whatever, or I can't spend time with them. They're just ordinary people. They're just going to, you know, waste my time. And so we almost classify people and how, how we spend our time. But God has no such, so no such views. Um, and we shall hear more of that next week. Um, in terms of our preferences and whom we deem important. So do you feel left out? Do you feel left behind? Do you feel like an outcast, not wanted, like those Gentiles up to that point? There is one who loves with an everlasting love. Come to Jesus today. Do you need to reach out to other people? Do you need to take the first step like Peter to love others, to serve them? And have you, have you never met Jesus? who this gospel, this whole book refers to, the Bible refers to, who died so that everyone could find their way back to God. He broke down all the barriers, all the walls, all the dividing walls to bring everyone in, if you will trust in Jesus. So Lord, we just thank you for your word today. Would you encourage our hearts? Would you continue to speak to us? I just pray for anyone listening who's never heard the name of Jesus, who's never trusted in Jesus, who's never followed you in any part of their lives. I just pray for your grace upon them that they might repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and start to follow you from today. Amen.